0: Fan Network.
1: The ultimate on-demand destination for the UK's best fan leg football podcasts, featuring teams from across all the major divisions. Discover a league of unbeatable club-dedicated content in just one click. The
0: TalkSport Fan Network,
1: created by the fans for the fans.
0: Search TalkSport Fan Network. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love.
1: Take a moment to connect with your mates, a simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
2: This is the Shoreham View podcast. So delighted to welcome to the show for a chat with us. It's the one, it's the only, it's ooh-ah, Bob Booker. Bob, how you doing, mate? I'm all right, Johnny, how yourself? I'm not too bad, obviously, not the season we uh, we all thought it
3: were going to be, but we're Blades, so it's never easy, is it? Well, we've been blessed for the last two or three seasons, haven't we, you know, with the uh, with the rise to the promised land. So, as the saying goes, you have to take the rough with the smooth. So, you know, as a player, I'd been there before in that position, and, especially what some of them players are going through now and what the manager's going through. And he was part of that when we had our season where we didn't win a game till Christmas. So, uh, yeah, so it's a tough time, but it's a a time, as you say, the Saints, you know, we've got to stick together. The fans have got to stick together and the players and the football club and uh, come out the other side of it, hopefully. Definitely. One thing I want to touch on in there is uh, one thing that quite a few people have
2: asked me to ask yourself is, is there any similarities? Because I know that when you joined us from Brentford, you spent nearly a decade at Brentford before joining us. You, you ended up as a cult hero with the Blades, but you didn't start out that way, did you? And you had to take a bit of uh, a rough criticism from, from the crowd. And, and you won them over. Is, there, is there, Was there anything to that? Or did you just
3: do what you do best and hope that that won them over? Uh, it's all about being strong in your, with your own mental side of it. You know, I, I had the managers back in so you know, at times I would sit down with Harry and Harry you know he knew I was struggling I knew I was struggling I wasn't really I wasn't really up to uh, match speed with Sheffield United having come from really not really playing in the Brentford team that much really I'd had a bad knee injury so I was looking to wind everything up my contract was coming to an end so I was on the downward slope really so to to do that change it was was a massive change for me and uh, yes I did struggle and, and rightly so you know the criticism came and you know there was I was probably expecting a a 32-year-old experienced player who played nearly 400 games, which I had in the lower leagues. You'd think it would fit well, but uh, the fans were very demanding on that cop, I have to say. But uh, for the right ways, you know, they want someone that's going to produce and and give 100%. And I was given 100%, but I wasn't given the quality that I should have been giving the fans. So uh, it took the time for me to come through that, and it it, it changed at Mansfield one night. But I think having the family around you and having Harry around you to... uh, to tell you, you know, I'm going to keep putting you in the team, that's that's what you want to hear from the managers and the players will be behind you. And it's one of those, you know, as a player, you all go through them situations. If you're a goal scorer and you're not scoring, you're having a dry run, what do you do? Do you put him out the team or do you carry on? So my head was in the right place to carry on. And I believed in the ability that I had, albeit limited, to get around the pitch and and get in contact with the game and and do what I was good at, you know, breaking play up, you know, giving it the ball to the wingers, winning my headers, winning my tackles, and it took a while for that to happen. So I was well off the pace to start with, which which affected me, and the crowd realised that, and you know, that's where the the stick comes in. But as I say, you just got to take it on the chin and either fall by the wayside and and don't don't keep getting picked, or you go through it. And for yeah. me, I, I went through it.
2: Uh, as we said, that turned around and you became a, a, a cult hero with the Blades. None more so as when you actually left us, and you were—I think you were introduced on the pitch, weren't you, uh, for one of those Steel City derby games—and yeah. uh, ended up jumping on the cop to a bit of a frenzy,
3: from what I've been told. You, you just sort of touched on that, and straight away that now uh, my arms, the hairs on the back of my head. <laughs> I, I remember that day vividly, and I was—I was due to play against Sheffield Wednesday that day. You know, I think it was a full house of about thirty-two thousand. And we were playing, uh, we were playing the pigs, weren't we? So, uh, you know, that was a big game, and I, 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 got called into Harry's office, you know, a few hours before that game, and said that Brentford had come back in for me, and I had no interest in leaving Sheffield United, uh, albeit my age was was cracking on a little bit, and I, I still had a year of my contract left, but Brentford were offering me sort of a, nearly a two and a half year contract to come back down south, and I didn't want to go, but Harry, being Harry, sort of said, listen, you know. Not so much financially, although it was a good deal. But you know, we can't probably prom- promise you another contract at the end of this season, with the way your knees and the way your age is. So, you know, it's probably best that you do go back home. My home was still down south; I was still in digs at Sheffield. So it was a tough decision to say that I was I, I was going to leave that day and. You know, Harry sort of made the decision for me, but then he said, you're going to go out on the pitch and say cheerio to the fans, which I didn't think was a very good idea at the time with playing Sheffield Wednesday. But uh, I'm glad I did because the reception was great. Even though you was leaving a football club, that doesn't normally happen. It's normally, oh, you know, he's left, he's gone and you're forgotten. But it seemed to go the other way. And uh, that was a very special day for me, a hard day to leave in front of the cop, And I can say there was a, there was a few tears in, and lumps in my back of my throat on that day for sure. Yeah, and the old man has been pestering me, and I
2: mean absolutely p- pestering me, to ask you what it felt like when you jumped on that cop. As he said, the airs were sticking up on the back of your, your your arms and your neck. Just thinking about it, then. Yeah, he, he, he always tells me that that worked that crowd into a frenzy. And it really gave them a platform for that game, and he holds you responsible for how, for how how hot that crowd were that day.
3: Yeah, well, I like to think so. So when I, was, you know, when I went to the cop to start with, I did a sort of all-around all in our half the pick with John Street and, and the, the uh, South Stand and that. And obviously, the Sheffield Wednesday fans had got wind of things and they was trying to come back with a bit of banter, but it weren't happening. So uh, I think it hopefully if it did stir it up and I, I was a little bit responsible for that result, then that makes me very, very happy. But uh, yeah, getting close to that cop, I mean, I remember one time with the, with the manager now against Southampton when I scored two and, and me and Chris ended up in the front of the first five, first five rows of the cop. then after scoring them goals. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a special time, especially when the, the ratings are down and you can get contact with the fans. Obviously, you can't do it these days, but that's what it's all about. You know, that's what the fans, is to get them going, get them off their seats and, and and bring some joy to them. So that's hopefully what we did. Lovely stuff. Uh, you touched on you your digs down in Sheffield.
2: Um when you living with, when you're living with uh, Agarner and Tufty at the
3: time? I, I started with uh, yeah, Chrissy, Chrissy Wilder when I first sort of had my first week's training. I was in a hotel for the first two or three weeks, which sort of got a bit bored. And and then I went to live with Derek French and Jeff Taylor for a while, but Jeff Taylor kept farting and burping all day. So <laughs> uh, like the sooner I got out of that, the better. So I, I got out of there and I went with Chrissy Wilder at Leedless and Tony Garner. So, uh, you know, I shared Chris's house with, with Tony and Chris and that was a great time. They was a little bit younger than me. So I was trying to educate them on how to keep the house clean and tidy up. And they loved it when I went home for the weekend because I always come back with homemade cakes from my mum. <laughs> so, uh, it, yeah, it was a precious time. And then I, uh, then I, I, moved in with, with Martin Pike for a while after Chrissy. Then I moved with Chrissy Wilde again <laughs> when his his mum and dad had a place up at Maulger uh, up there at Woodseat. So I, uh. Yeah, so I, I, I lived with Chrissy Wilder for most of my time in Sheffield. So we really, that's where we really got our bond from. So, yeah, it was very happy days. And I felt I felt at home, you know, at the, at the place at Morga Hay. I had my own self-contained flat that his mum and dad said I could have. You know, it was it was nice and private. I could come and go when I wanted. You know, me and Chris used to go out running and, and socialise together. So it was, you know, if you feel happy in your environment, then you're going to be a happy person on the pitch, I believe. You know, especially when you're away from home, for weeks on end and some weeks some weeks oh, i didn't get home for sometimes a month six or eight weeks so you need to be happy and i was very happy in sheffield and you know i could walk the dogs and you know it was it was great I, it was a great city i, I mean i love living up there just the people i don't know what it is and they won't mind me saying this but the northerners are so much friendlier than the southerners i don't know what it is but you know people say good morning to each other in the morning when you're walking around the street so it's just it just felt great i just love the area I imagine um,
2: modern-day sports scientists would have had absolute kittens with uh, two young lads like a garner and Chris Wilder living together at that stage of their careers. You said that you were kind of the responsible one, but I bet there were a few times where it was uh, a bit like men behaving badly, With
3: well, yeah, Well, I wouldn't like to say what you used to see around, around, the, around the house like. But I just, um, if I left on a Friday or went home on Saturday after the game and come back on a Monday morning... It was chaos, you know, it was, I just, and I'm not like that, I'm a bit OCP. I like things nice and tidy, so I'll get amongst it and, you know, it was just, it uh, wasn't too bad for two young, two young lads, but uh, responsible, but yeah, a little bit messy, to say the least. You were at Brentford for a decade, obviously, before
2: you, uh, you came up here, obviously, uh, you had, I think you had 231 appearances with them, 42 goals, 109 appearances for us and 13 goals. I ask everybody who comes on, out of them, uh, 13 goals, which were your favourite? What for Sheffield United? Yeah,
3: for Sheffield. QPR. Yeah. QPR away. Without a shadow of a doubt. Is that um, the one that uh, uh, kept us up, weren't it? Yes. Yeah, and I, mean, I think Andy Dakin still owes me ten grand gold bonus for that. So <laughs> I'm still still waiting for that. So uh no, is that that was that was the goal for me really. I mean it was a special day, um, as a lot of fans will probably remember down at QPR. My family was sitting above the scoreboard of that end. So uh, I think when you watch the watch the goal on on Twitter or whatever it's on now these days, and I, I managed to go behind the goal, looking up looking up towards my dad who was looking over at the scoreboard, and leaning down and look at me, and you know I'd arrive like it was a sea of yellow shirts. We had the famous away shirt. It was it was probably I think it was probably the best day in my football career. QPR away. one for keeping the blades up and and obviously scoring the goal that did it. So. That will stick me for, well, it was, you know, it'll take me to the grave. It was it was a fantastic day. And I think a lot of Sheffield United fans put that amongst even the Leicester days, really.
2: Yeah,
3: I mean, Leicester was a fantastic <coughs> achievement. But uh, after the season we had had with not winning the game up until Christmas and then, you know, going on that run, everybody had written us off. But you don't write Harry Bassett's teams off and you don't write a group of players off that we had. You know, we was a bunch of, we was a bunch of thugs, really. We was a team of nobodies, you know. I was 32, 33, nearly retired. You know, Brian Dean for, I don't know, 60, 70 grand, whatever he's often done. Tony Agana, 40 grand. Local boys, Chrissy Wilder, Dane Whitehouse, you know, Jock Bryson, 40 grand, where we come from. Absolutely fantastic acquisitions to a football club for hardly any money at all. So it was just a team of nobodies, but we had that togetherness and people couldn't handle us. Speaking of Bryson, uh,
2: another thing that I've, I've had so many questions come in on private messages, far more than I usually get. Is it true that Bryson, on Vinnie Jones's first day, walked straight up to him and made sure he knew who the daddy were at the
3: club? Who the what was? Uh, who were the daddy, who were in charge? Jock Bryson? Yeah. Oh, oh, I've never heard that one. Oh, no, not Jock Bryson. No, that's me completely off topic. It's Brian Gale. Brian Gale. Yeah, Brian, yeah, yeah, Biffo, he was a, he was a big character. Uh, but he knew. I think he knew Benny from his Wimbledon days. So, you know, they was he was a strong character. As I said before, we had a we had a team. You know, through the seasons I was there, we had some real strong characters. You know, Carl Bradshaw and as uh, yes. a Mitch Ward and people like that. And and Stan. You know, Stan was a was a leader, wasn't he? You know, he's a great servant to the football club. I think you'd go for that whole team, and every, everybody had a had a real important role to play. You know, some of them were quiet, but uh, they. You know, some of them were quite eccentric you know Brian Dean's a very quiet lad but what a great lad to play with you know yeah. so really good characters and, and and Harry just put us into a shape where we all knew what we was doing and we didn't complicate it we all had jobs to do and that's what we did and we didn't change the plan you know you didn't get Paul Stancliffe trying to dribble out the back you know it was out of his feet and, and get it forward you know you didn't have Ian Bryson or, uh, or, or John Gannon or anybody that was wide you know doing anything apart from trying to get across him you know, and they was they was ordered ordered to do that from Harry. You know, if they didn't get, if our Wide men didn't get ten crosses in each per game. You ain't gonna get a goal. So it wasn't rocket science, but it was it was, it was a cultured system that we all knew what we had to do. And you know, if I was going to kind of try and come short and get off a centre half and try and be something a Paul Gascoigne that I'm not, then Harry would let me know. So you know, get it out your feet, get it in the corners, get it in, and it worked. And it, it you know that's that's what, that's what we did. I think that's one of the problems we've got maybe in this season is uh, with Sheffield United. Last season, we
2: were so ruthless in knowing what we needed to do with the ball. I mean, it was a different system and yeah. people kind of got it caught unawares, but we were getting balls in the box and we were doing what we were good at. Do you think we we're too dithery this season, maybe? Uh,
3: I don't I don't think... And Chris wouldn't have changed his plan. Obviously, the rest of the Premier League now have probably done a little bit of homework and didn't expect what was coming the first season when Chris got in you know, when we got to the Premier League,
0: yeah. they didn't know
3: what was, coming, but they didn't know when we was first there, and we, you know, we we stayed up. So now teams have, you know, have a chance and they've worked it out a little bit and they changed their tactics. And to be and to be fair, you know, the football club or Sheffield United has had a a big turnaround with players since last season. Yeah. Uh, there's no excuse because Chris will still be sticking to his guns, but that takes a while as well for players to settle in and get used to the system that Chris wants to be playing. So it's a bit of a mixture of things, really. But, uh, you know, last last season it's going for you. Like Chris said the other day, there's big moments. And last year they fall for you, you take them. And you need a bit of luck in football, you know. I was I was at the Brighton game last night and, you know, one little instance on VAR, and you lose 2-1 at home to your local rival, Southampton. Yeah. And it's all about big moments, like Chris says. And I think if you're in them positions, you know, Against Leicester, Jamie Vardy, 90th minute, he scores. No disrespect to uh, Sheffield United forward, he might get in that position and he doesn't score. Sometimes it's just that little bit of quality that you're playing up against. And you might have to hold rounds up and say, look, you know, we've been beaten by a bit of quality. It hurts, but you've still got to try and compete with it. So it's difficult. It's it's tough. It's tough. Uh, in your view, if that were Harry Bassett in that situation, would he have been, a, would he have been screaming
2: at his centre-half for not uh, taking one for a team and taking Vardy out in that situation? <laughs>
3: Probably, yeah, probably, yeah. That's 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 the way it is these days, isn't it? But yeah. you know, the game's changed since since then as well. You know, any anybody if you're if you're pressurizing anybody around the penalty area now, you can't make contact. No, you know you and it, and if they get by and beat you and stick one in the top corner, you hold your old up and say well played. But as soon as you make a bit of contact, you know you just seen players. You know whether they're faking it or it's a bit of professionalism. They're going over with an easy bit of contact with a little nudge. You know, they click their own heels. It all goes on and you can face the consequences from VAR. You know, the one last night was outside the box. uh, You know, the referee sprayed the line outside the box, VAR, and now it's given inside the box. So it it can be ruthless. It can. Uh, I mean, for yourself, you said the game's changed a lot there. Um, you, You came through at Brentford.
2: How was your path into football. Uh, I know you you were yeah, you went cleaning business, didn't you? And then Brentford took you on
3: on an Nearly. extended contract on an extended contract. Uh I was I I came I came into football at 18. I didn't do an apprenticeship. I worked in a furniture factory for for 4 years when I left school because I wanted to earn some money and then I was just lucky enough to get a
0: Picture the scene, all of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything 24/7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
3: The, the groundsman at Brentford at the time, he uh, he was my manager on a Saturday morning where I used to play for Edmund, the same as Vinny, and there was just a little bit of a rope round the pitch with two men and a dog watching, uh, no nets behind the goal lights so that went into the street when you when you missed the target. <laughs> and I was I was doing fairly well as an 18-year-old. You know, I was quite I was playing up front then, big and strong, scoring a few goals, and I. I was lucky enough to get a trial for Brentford against Brighton and I scored two goals in that in that uh, trial and, and it snowballed from there. A month later, I was signing professional forms. So it was a bit of a whirlwind, to be fair. Yeah, uh, didn't, didn't really see it coming. I loved the game, but I never thought I'd have the chance to, to do it as a professional. So, you know, after sort of playing a trial and six to eight weeks later, I was in the first team squad at Brentford at an early, at, at early stage. was was a, was a massive turnaround for me. So... Uh, again, I was very inexperienced, and I struggled at Brentford as I did at Sheffield United in my early days. Where the crowd, you know, I was I was young, but I was so inexperienced. So I got loaned out to Barnet under Barry Fry, which was an experience I have to say. Uh, and that sort of that sort of grounded me playing at that level in non-league. You know, you, you met some center halves that you wouldn't want to meet out on a Friday night, and uh, it was it was it was a good learning curve for me. So that then I came back to Brentford, and then it sort of snowballed from there, really. And I got in the team and become a regular. So, I mean, that led on to,
2: I think I don't think players really get trials at 18 years old anymore, do they? No. Uh, you either signed up to an academy and then filtered down the league system from a, a young age, 14, 15 now, or that's it, you don't really get a career in the game. But to go from no. being 18 year old, getting a trial at Brentford, and then fast forward to being at Sheffield United and Harry Bassett telling you you're going to be captain for the Leicester game, how did that no. feel for yourself? I mean, did, did it let you know a week
3: beforehand on the day or...? Well, it was probably the week before because poor old Stan had got a hamstring injury uh, leading up to the Leicester game, so it wasn't really on the radar to be captain. I mean, I was one of the southerners. I was probably one of the later players to be in the squad from when um, from how brought me up. So there was, you know, yeah, it could have, you know, it could have been any any one of anyone really. You know, it could have been Mark Morris, it could have been Chrissy Wilder being the local yeah. lad. Could have made him captain. Could have made Brian Dean captain. Uh, uh, Colin Hill, he was an experienced pro. So Ferrari just appalled me a couple of days before and said, "You're gonna, you're gonna take the team down the tunnel at Leicester." That was, that was a very proud moment, and uh, I remember that vividly. And being in that tunnel, and and I could, look, I could see down the tunnel and see the sea of yellow, uh, lit yellow shirts, and all the fancy dress on the far side. Because we took over most of the ground that day, and then I just remember looking round behind me and seeing that group of players and thinking, oh, "Come on, this is it now." This is this is the big time. Let's go and produce. So uh, I had every confidence in the in the group that I had behind me. It was like going down into war. Really, it was. We were ready for it. You know, we couldn't have been in a better place. It, it start didn't start the best, but we was in, we was in the best place to go and deal with it. How does that
2: feel as a player, just seeing? Because uh, again, you wouldn't see that nowadays. It's just four sides are aground. I think, weren't it, or three sides but just completely took the, completely took over. Right,
3: Bottom and top tier, wasn't it? And then from the low side, it was all the way along. So you're yeah. probably looking at 50,000 blades there. And most of them were predominantly in fancy dress, which was quite bizarre, really, because again, you know, every time we scored or equalized or when we went in front, there was a pitch invasion. Yeah. And I just remember trying to tell people to get off the pitch. And I was telling, like, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Spider Man <laughs> and, you know, Captain Marvel, get off the pitch. You know, we've got a game going on here. Everyone, everyone in front of me was on their knees and they was in fancy dress. It was quite bizarre, really. It was, and it was a cardboard cut of myself. Someone went on with a cardboard cutout, life size cardboard cutout of myself as well. So I was telling myself to get off the pitch. It was, well, it was a bizarre, bizarre day. It was absolutely. It was, it was, it was a fantastic day. You know, one, yeah, great, happy, happy days that was Leicester away.
2: First thing I want to say is whoever brought that cardboard cut out of yourself into the ground or oh, up now, nah, mention it on Twitter and tell us one where you got that cardboard cut out from and two, exactly. send it in so we can get it to you.
3: <laughs> well I, I want I wanted it, but I'll tell you what happened with it, uh, Johnny. Uh we, we I think we went out that night, we ended up going into Josephine's when it was open. Don't do it. And yeah, and really I think it ended up in it ended up in by the door, just inside the door as we was coming in. <laughs> And as we was going in, and we got we got we got allowed in. Uh, Billy Whitehurst punched it, I think, so it it got quite damaged. But it was in Josephine, so where it went from then, I'd, I'd love to get, I'd love to see it and get it at some stage. So if it's out there, I doubt if it is. But uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was a, it was a strange one. Seeing yourself standing in standing in reception at Josephine's in your Sheffield United kit. Somebody
2: out there has got to have the Billy Whitehurst assaulted Bob. Bob Booker, Josephine's car, book. ah, Somebody's get, yeah. Somebody's got to have it, please. It, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, you said celebrations carried on with there. You move into the new season. Um, famous Green Out cutting blades up, Owls down. We were the representatives of the city up there. Didn't start that, that well. Um, we all know that. But uh, f- between... That that losing streak, and then obviously the QPR game. You've got that big chunk of where we went on that good run. Mm. Was it just a Christmas
3: party that saved the season, or was it more than that? I think it, I think it played a part. It was it was a great move by Harry to have you know have Christmas at, at, at that time of year. You know, after not winning them games and going on to that, I think it was thirteen or fourteen unbeaten games, something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it, I, mean, I think it, you know it played a part, but I think just the way that Harry dealt with it, you know, we we was really as a group of players happy to be at that level. You know, he wanted us to keep enjoying it. You know, he didn't really put any pressure on us about going down or anything like that. And we just we just stuck together. I think the same. I think the fans stood behind us, even though you know when you're losing week in and week out, you know, still to have that away support like we did,
2: yeah,
3: it was just priceless. And that's what that's what keeps you going. You know. There wasn't any animosity amongst us, I don't think. There wasn't any booing, even though we were... Because we, I think they could see that we was generally having a go. Yeah. Even though we were getting beat 2-1 or, you know, 1-0 and just missing out like the team is now, you know, you still need the backing of the fans, which hopefully, you know, the, the team's got at the moment. And that that can be priceless to the players. Obviously, they're not in the stadiums at the moment. But, uh, you know, I think if if, if Sheffield United, if, if Bramwell Lane was open now, that would be a massive boost for the players. Yeah. Absolutely massive because of, well, I know know what they're like. You know what they're like. It's, you know, they're there for us. So, yeah, so, but it was, we did have a a very strong togetherness as a group of players. We were very mentally strong. You know, we played hard, we party hard, we trained hard and, you know, we just kept going. We we socialised together after games. You know, it wasn't all this jumping in cars and shooting off like they do these days. and Going off in, in the Lamborghinis and all that, you know. We would all go back in the social club after training, you know, to have some lovely Toad in the Old and a couple of Guinnesses. And it was all, it was all, it's like a bit, it's not like a massive family. It really was a massive family. And, and I think all the players from that era would tell you the same. You know, we just, we just, we were very, very strong together. And we, you know, everybody could point the finger at anybody and you'd listen and take it on board and get on with it. You might have the rail, you might have a scrap in the dressing room and you get it sorted out, you know, fisticuffs, you know let it happen, get it done, clear the air, and then you have a beer after the game. Well, what was your favourite memory with that group of lads? Not not so much on the
2: pitch, but off the pitch. What I know you said you a bond, you're like a family, and you had those social club moments. Is there one mm-hmm. defining memory you've got that kind of just summed up? <laughs> okay. how,
3: well, I've just got a few memories. You know, I've got some crazy memories. You know, we, we, Let's say we did everything together. I, I remember one time when it was snowing and we was up at the training ground and we decided to split into two groups, the Northers and the Southers, because because that's what it was all about, really. Yeah. I mean most most Friday roast most Friday mornings, you know, we'd do a bit of pattern of play and do the set plays and everything, and then Jeff would set up a, a small seven, you know, a small seven aside for six minutes each way, and it was always the north against the south. And we used to kick three bags of shit out of each other <laughs> on a Friday on, on a Friday morning before a game. But that's how we did it. You wouldn't be seeing that today on a training ground. Character you know, building. But, Character building, you know. And if you were, if you if you if you took the tackle and you got injured on a Friday, then tough shit. Someone else was coming in. That's how we did it. But uh, we had North against South once up in the snow, and uh, I I got stripped. I got stripped naked, all by my just a little bit of a, a, a slip on, uh, in the snow by the Northerners, and the rest of the Southerners disowned me, and I was stuck up at the training ground with no training kit, no boots, and I had to make my way back to bramwell Lane from the training ground with just a slip on in the freezing snow. So yeah, all sorts of antics used to go on, you know, room wrecking at hotel well not wrecking, but just you know I remember I remember once the lads the lads uh, when Harry wasn't in his room they managed to get his key and they moved all of his furniture. By
0: Shaggy. They moved all of all of his furniture. So that's my Alexa. <laughs> Alexa, off. Station based on it,
3: wasn't me. Alexa off. Alexa off. Alexa off. Alexa off. I don't know. That
2: staying
1: in. That is
3: in. <laughs> it was Mr. Boom Bandastic, whoever he is. Uh, yeah, so they they removed all the furniture from his room and put it out in the corridor. So when he went up after his meal, you know, the bed and the bedside tables and all the all the lights were out in the out in the corridor next to the lift. <laughs> That's what they done to the manager. So yeah, we, yeah, we have, we used to have some laughs. I mean, uh, the night after the promotion. I forget what pub we was in, but it was down low underground. I can't remember where it was. And I, we just lost track of time. And I remember we was all still in our suits. It was from the first promotion when I was up there. And we finally come out of that pub and it was morning and people were queuing up for their buses. While we we come out the back steps <laughs> and out the double doors, out the exit, and there was people queuing up to go to work. And we was all coming out there in our suits and ties after promotion. So, yeah, great, great, great times. Happy days.
2: Did you have any run-ins with the other squad from South Barnsley while you were out and about in town? Did you
3: ever bump into no. any of them? Uh, South Barnsley, as you mean,ing the Sheffield Wednesday fans? Ah, pig lot! Any any of their players or fans in there? Uh, yeah we had we had a little we had a little bit of trouble one night when uh, when Vinny was on board with us and we I think Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday were playing away, so you'd think it was yeah. a pretty safe time to go out in town a little bit. And it was over our side. I think we was at, I think we was at Henry's. Was it Henry's uptown? I think it was called yeah, Henry's. Yeah. And uh, Vinny parked his car outside and obviously it had his name on it, Vinny's Vauxhall. And uh, a lot of Sheffield Wendy fans came back from the game early because it got, it got cancelled, it got postponed. And uh, they started to gather around Vinny's car and started shaking it around and rocking it around. And, and uh, they realised we was inside and, you know, that I think the local police were called. That, that got a bit frightening because I thought they might have been coming in, but we had a bit of backup. We had Billy Whitehurst, you know, yeah. we had Carl Bradshaw. I think we'd have been all right. I think we'd have been all right. So uh, it didn't materialise into too much, but yeah, yeah, they they was on our case. They was on our case. I think that's one of the things, isn't it, with Sheffield, the two-team city. You're always going to have
2: that kind of risk, aren't you? <laughs> when you go out and apart with uh, players having nights out. Uh, yeah. But, do, you always said that you felt like Sheffield were home so those kind of instances um, I'd were quite rare were there any times you went out in Sheffield and you just thought I imagine it was usually after promotions that you thought wow this is this is it this is what being a footballer is all about like with fans partying with fans anything like that
3: well I, I, I'm, I'm- I was always one of those players, you know, when we had signing days, you know, fans pay their money to come and see you. So, you know, I think you can return that gesture by spending some time with them. Yeah. You know, whether it's signing autographs or or having a picture done, you know, we used to have signing days. We'd be outside the ground for two, three, four hours stuck in a corner signing autographs. And uh, uh, there's there's one story that uh, I still keep, keep in contact with a young lad, well, the lad now. Uh, and he's, he. He asked me for my autograph with his mum, and he was only about six or seven years old. And uh, he said to me, or he said to his mum, well, do you think Bob would come to have dinner with us? And I said, what do you have for your tea? And he said, we had meat and potato pie. And I said, I'll have a bit of that. He said, would you come Would you come to my house? And and that's what I did. So I turned up at his house. I think he told about 25 of his mates, so they was all outside waiting for me. But I went inside with his family, and I, I had meat and potato pie and sat with his mum and dad, and
0: you know, he's now grown up that.
3: He's still, yeah, he's still a fan. You know, I still see him on the cop and he's got a couple of kids himself. Uh, so, yeah, little things like that. It's not, it's not difficult, is it? And no. I think, I think today now, the modern day footballer, he's detached from the fans. You know, he's shipped into the game on a coach. You don't sit, have much time to sign autographs. They're straight off afterwards. You know, it's, it, you know, when you go out, you're in the public eye all the time. So it's, it has changed considerably, but I, you know, my first thing, Mick Rooker, you know Mick Rooker, I think, he used to take me around to the pubs and the clubs and I'd go and sit with the fans and have a drink and I just, I found that quite normal and I enjoyed it. It got to, yeah. it got to you know, you know, you you get the odd time and I was at the pictures once over at Crystal Peaks, I think it was, and in the middle of a film, a couple of supporters had spotted me in the middle of the film and they... They, they jostled their way along the middle of the row, asking for an autograph while the film was going on, which was a bit embarrassing, but I couldn't turn them down. So and just to get recognised in the street is quite bizarre, really, because, you know, when I was at Brentford for 10, 11, 12 years, you might get the odd person to recognise you, but when you're in Sheffield and you're walking around and you play for the Blades, everybody recognises you. Yeah. Uh, and, and that just comes with the territory, but... Uh, there's nothing wrong with stopping and talking to someone and shaking their hand and signing the autograph while than just walking past past them. Why not? That's just that's just me being Bob really. That's just the way I was.
2: No, that's brilliant. That, what you said about with uh, for tea at some lads' house. Can you imagine a modern player doing that nowadays? I can't. But to do that, that no. I, I love that. That's brilliant.
3: Yeah, and it's not always the players' fault these days. You know, it's social media. It's all changed. Yeah. You know, players. The, the money's more, so everybody thinks. Well, they are. They're nearly all millionaires. So that comes with, you know, so the modern day player now, he probably can't go out and do what I used to do because he'd just get overruled and people would be taking too many pictures of him. It's going to be on social media. As soon as he says anything out of order, it's all going to get blown up. So it's it's moved on. So, you know, people say, oh, uh, don't you wish you was in the modern game now and, you know, being in the team and earning the money now? And No, I don't. I, I love the era that I was in. As a footballer, and I, want, I wouldn't want that to change. You know, football's changed for me. And I, to be fair with you now, apart from Sheffield United and, and, and Brighton on Brentford, I don't really watch a lot of football because it's changed so much with the VAR, and I just don't enjoy it. You know, there's yeah. not enough there's not activity, there's not enough goals, there's no action. I'd rather watch a good Championship game because I find it, I find it very tedious. The Premier League, unfortunately, but that's the way it's gone.
2: I think I, I agree with you there on that one. I, I've got this sudden burst nostalgia for 80s and 90s football that I keep watching. And yeah. my, my little lad seems to look at me like I've gone out, like I've lost my mind. Right. He can't understand why I keep watching it. But to me, that was proper football. And that, that that is something that I, I do miss intently. Speaking mm. of that era of football, um, you can use players from either Brentford or Sheffield United for
3: these uh, for these questions. Best player you ever played with? Best player i played with? Oh, me. Well, a couple, a couple come to mind. I was lucky enough, and a lot of fans probably won't remember this player. This player, uh, and he's, he's he's unfortunately he's quite ill at the moment with, right. with dementia. Great Stan Bowles. Yep. I was lucky enough to play with Stan Bowles at Brentford, uh, and he was an absolute legend. And also at Brentford, I would say Terry Hurd. Uh, fans might have heard of Terry Hurd. I played with Chris Tamara. They were they were good players. They were good pros on the on the Sheffield United front it's got to be Brian Dean for me playing with Brian Dean uh, there's, there's 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 some great lads in there because they was all they was all brilliant at what they did but Brian Dean I just think for what we paid for him and what he became and he still kept he's still as Brian Dean as he is today he, he's yeah. he was a great he's a great lad he was great to work with the gentle giant but for someone for his size now in the modern game now God knows what he'd be worth because he had two good feet he was good in the air he was quick you know, you wouldn't say he was the bravest, but he put him, he put himself yeah. about, but he, he wasn't what he wasn't the Billy Whitehurst, was he? Let's put it yeah. that way. But uh so he was he was a he was a really class player, I thought, in, in Brian Dean. He was he was great to play with. And Glenn Hodges, Glenn Hodges for me was you know, left foot like a wand. So when he came in, he made a massive difference to us uh in what he did for our football team that short amount of time. You know, he was he was he could be a match winner for you. He was we used to call him the luxury player because he couldn't run around and tackle. Right. But the the other ten of us used to cover for him and that's sometimes when you have a luxury player that's what we had to do for Glenn and he won't mind me saying that but you give him the ball in the right areas and he's going to punish people so he was he was quality, absolute quality. Who was the most, I don't want to,
2: obviously we can cut this one out if you don't feel comfortable say, but who was the most, uh, let's say, overrated player
3: you ever played with?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we are you laughing at? <laughs> and, uh, I, I, that's, a, that's a difficult one that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of overrated that's an odd one yeah that's an hard one uh, I can't really pick one out really because I would say at Sheffield United probably nah it's a difficult one yeah I'm, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to put any player down I'm just trying to think someone that I thought me you know, he's in the team, but he, he's not that. He's not that good, really. Because as I said before, all the players I played with, they all, all did a job for what we was expected to do. Yeah, uh, I'll sw- I'll switch it round for this one then. Who, who do you think was the most underrated player you ever played with? Well, at, Sh- at Sheffield United, I'd probably say Ian Bryson. Ian Bryson. Yeah, and and uh, and and John Gannon. You know, John Gannon took a lot of stick next to me when he when we was a two in the midfield. But what John did, you know, I, I, you know, my my job was to sort of destroy people in midfield and hopefully give him the ball because he had the ability to do something with it. Yeah. Great on set plays, uh, and I think he was underrated because he's one of those. He wasn't a player that got around the pitch a like, lot. He wasn't quick. He wasn't really a tackler. But again, he was. He just kept things ticking over for you. You know, one of them Brian Robson types where you just like you know he's gonna be, he's gonna he's gonna make a good pass whether it's a five yard pass or a six yard pass. He's going to keep the thing ticking over. He's going to give the ball to the wingers. So, um, and Ian Bryson, I mean, he was—he'd be—I think he'd be a manager's dream on the modern day. You know, he you know, could get up and down. You know, he was pacey. He was aggressive. He could score goals from wide positions. He was good in the air. So, I think he had a bit of everything for me, Jock. And he was—he was—he was very underrated for what he did for the football club.
2: Lovely stuff. Now we're going to wrap it up here. So, you've got a book out, and I want to give you a chance now to tell everybody where they can go and buy it from.
3: Yeah, well, the books. The book, yeah, the book's still out there. Who are ah, the Bob Booker story? Uh, it's been out for probably about eighteen months, two years now. It's still going in the in the club shop. You can still get it on Amazon. I think it's something like ten ninety nine. Nice little Christmas present for everybody. It's the life story of me from coming from factory floor to the professional floor. So it's you know it's not uh, how many how much money you got and how many cars and how many houses you got. It's what it's like not to have money to pay your mortgage or you know what's it like to go through depression. Yeah. Uh, what's it like to have a marriage split up? It's it's all in there. Plus a lot of stories, you know, with the players. Uh, you know, you need to buy the book to read the stories behind the scenes. So, you know, it's got good reviews, and Henry Winter from the Times has has given a good antidote in it. And Bradley Walsh does the foreword. So it's in the club shop. It's on Amazon. So just in time for Christmas again. So it's still ticking over nicely. And thank you everybody because the royalties are still coming in, so that keeps the uh, I can still pay the bills. So, but. Uh, Hopefully, you know, if it's out there, just, just go and have a read, especially if you're a Sheffield United fan or if you're just a football fan, you know, from the 80s and 90s, what it was like to be a player in that era. Lovely stuff. Bob,
2: thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for everything you did for the club. Oh, and, and Sheffield United mug. <laughs> Bob, again, thank you so much and up the blades up the blades. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. We are trying to get a lot more of our video content converted to an audio platform as well. We understand a lot of you out there don't have time to watch the videos and you like to listen to the content in the car and on the go. We are hoping to get a lot more of this to you, but if you haven't done already, please head over to our YouTube channel. Please give that a subscribe. Please follow us on social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the rest. And don't forget to check back here again because we will be getting some more content to you on the audio channels. Thank you very much and up the blades
1: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year